Hi folks, welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, for Monday, the 12th of February, 2024. This is a pre-recorded podcast because we're having some work done in the building, and so we're losing our internet access for that day, so we couldn't broadcast. So we had to record this in advance for you. I'm joined by Josh. Hello. Elios, Hello. And today we're going to be talking about, are you a consumer, Alexander the Gay, and diversity fatigue? So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. So I wanted to talk about whether you are a consumer or not. And um, this is, of course, uh, a bit of a meme. And it's been going on for many years now, but I thought it'd be worthwhile covering it because I don't think we've actually covered this sort of thing before. And I think it's very important, actually. And I think it's important coming from me as well because I'm a bit of a diehard free marketeer. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. I I have a pretty austere apartment, to be fair. Um, So although I'm very much, you know, free market, you should be able to buy things and uh, not be impeded by the state. So I'm not saying anything should be banned, um, but I think that personal responsibility is important. And I think that society needs to um, sometimes shame bad behavior. You know, I think I'm anti-free market. Don't say that. I'm not even joking. We'll have, another, we'll have a long discussion about it another time. <laughs> Carry on. For goodness <laughs> sake. And um, as well as that, I'm also going to be talking about some of the psychology um, that determines this sort of behavior and how I think it ties into human nature and things like that. But um, first of all, I'm very excited to present the fact that Calvin's Common Sense Crusade has come to Lotus Eaters and it's every Thursday at three o'clock. Um, that is uh, British time. And uh, if you use the code Crusade um, for 50% off, you get the gold tier membership um, for three months, I think. So if you sign up to a highest tier, it's half price. So that also applies if you're a pre-existing subscriber or a new one. And um, you can also submit video comments for his fatherly advice uh, section and make sure to open it with um, Dear Father Calvin. So our editors know that this is a video comment for Calvin because, of course, we still do video comments for the podcast as well. So uh, definitely make sure to check it out. I mean, you can't, can't, can't turn down that cheeky grin, can you? You've got to go and sign up. I just think you can't turn down the aesthetic. Look at the background. I know, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, Jack did an amazing job. Anyway. So, I think in the context of modernity, you have things like this. Um, millennial melancholy. Nine in ten young Brits believe their life lacks purpose, according to shocking new study. And this was in 2019. And I think it's all the more true now than it was then. And I think that this is the sort of context for which this sort of behavior that I'm talking about seems to exist. And uh, you also have things like this. This was a report um, done by Harvard in October, and it suggests an alarming new trend as well. So it, it suggests that young adults are actually um, facing more mental health challenges, as they euphemistically refer to it. Um, than teenagers. Normally, the trend is that you know teenage years are tumultuous, lots of hormones. They tend to go through the most problems. So it's shifting to young adults in, an, in such a significant way seems to indicate that there's something very tangible going on um, for the young adult population. And it's very concerning. So I'm going to read a little bit about some of the data that they uh, have gathered, because I think actually it was a very good report. So it says... Um, Based on a nationally representative survey of young adults aged between 18 to 25, teens and parents conducted um, a survey in December of 2022, and it's you know taken almost a year for them to do it. 36% um, of young adults 
who responded to the survey reported anxiety compared to 18% of teens, 29% of young adults reported depression compared to 15% of teens. And it says, legions of young adults reported financial worries, 56%, and achievement pressure, 51%, um, negatively influencing their mental health. And um, alarming percentages reported they lacked meaning or purpose in their lives with 58%. So it's perhaps not as much as that previous survey from 2019, but it's still 58%, which is very worrying. It's over half of people feel like they don't have purpose in their life, which in any other time would be considered the most pressing issue of your age. But uh, It's very worrying, but it's not surprising. No. Because I think that uh, one of the main features of maturity and growing up and pa passing the teenage stage is that you start believing in your own self slowly and steadily. But right now, the whole education system is geared to make people believe that if they do that, they are toxic people and that part of their identity is the worst thing ever and that they should atone for guilt that they have never even done themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's not surprising that they feel this way. Sure. There's just um, a couple more percentages that I want to read. Um, relationship deficits too appeared um, to be an epidemic among young adults, including loneliness, 34%, and a sense of not mattering to others, 44%. I think actually the, the factors they've outlined here perfectly encapsulate what's going on to a whole generation of people. And I think it, it's broken it down into the factors quite nicely. And I can certainly sympathize with many of these. Um, you know, I, I don't really feel the achievement pressure because, you know, I'm in my later 20s. I feel like I've kind of done a, a decent amount of the groundwork for that sort of thing. And I don't feel the loneliness because I've got close family and friends, but the rest of it, I certainly understand. And so I think that this seems to be a sort of void that people are seeking to fill. And um, I, the final thing I wanted to mention before I go on to the actual consumerism part is this, and I was very surprised by this one. This is from 2019 as well. A quarter of millennials say they have no friends, which seems pretty shocking to me. The actual percentage, I think, was 22%, which I find hard to believe, but I suppose it that it must be true to a certain extent, even if they've got a dodgy sample. And so I suppose that this is what's creating this desire to, to fill that void. I think it's totally expected. Mm. Like this, this is what the last men at the end of history are. This is what liberalism has been working to bringing into existence. People who are not reliant on other people and don't have anything to worry about but themselves. So this is inevitable. And this is literally what Fukuyama is talking about. And the main concern that Fukuyama brings up in The End of History and the Last Man is the desire for recognition. And that's what this is. They, these people want to be appreciated by others. And no one does, because the point is that you are so totally free from the constraints of others that all there is is you and yourself. So, okay, but, no, but who said that was a good thing? Mm -hmm. you know, and if, if what these people are showing is everyone says, actually, that's awful, um, actually, it's kind of a punishment because, you know, that's what isolation is, a form of punishment. So why are we doing this? Mm. I mean, like when like there wasn't, I'm sure there wasn't a single English soldier on the rolls of Henry V who was like, yeah, I'm just struggling with depression as I march through France. You know, I bet there wasn't one well, who was like, you know fair, what, my life. As an Englishman to be depressed rolling through the French. It, you know? it, but there wasn't a single one of them who was like, yeah, my life lacks purpose. You know, and this is the problem with the intellectual paradigm of the entire West. 
is all we can create, our consumers. All we can create is a state in which nothing matters and you have nothing to do. I, I want to add something here to you know, yeah. spice things up a bit. It seems to me that th this is really bad. It's really bad that uh, yeah. ki uh, young people say this, that they have no friends. Usually this is the stage in life where people think they have too many friends yep. and they're completely I'd mistaken ab about it. But uh, saying that they have uh, zero friends shows complete lack of uh, socializing. I think that this is uh, a, a very important uh, problem here. But I don't. I think that in a way, the the solution is not to say that we will give you meaning. The solution is to say you should show a kind of you know stiff upper lip. Is that the thing? I don't because, know. because meaning in life is not to be created by centralized thing. Because, for instance, you could say that this is an, a journey of individual self-discovery. And sometimes these journeys, they have some really bad stages. Yeah, but th this, so this th that, could be, that could be an opportunity that is yeah. turned into turning people more mature. The, no, the problem with this is what it does. It turns people inwards. And there, there, are, there is a whole genre of TikToks which I guess you could call gender journeys. And it is woke leftist kids who are talking about their experience with gender as they move through the world. And they're in entirely within their own heads and they're not concerned really about anything important. Yeah. It's just about how my gender expression was recognized this day. And it becomes entirely solipsistic, just self-absorbed and utterly not respectable. That's you know, all of TikTok to a certain extent. Well, it? it's, a, it's a large portion of it. And actually, in previous eras, um, we actually had civilizational missions. Yeah. Um, you know, the Crusades, defeating the Nazis, whatever it is. You know, we had like civilizational goals. And so people had something they could genuinely buy into and try and achieve. But the thing is, all we have now is the further spreading of the liberal order. And it's like, okay, but these are the victims of the liberal order. These are the people who are like, actually, I don't just want to be on my own with no purpose in life. Why am I going to go and inflict that on the Ukrainians or whoever? You know, why am I going to make sure that all of Africa feels this way and all of Asia feels this way? And what this speaks to is the sickness at the heart of the West that we just can't seem to identify properly. I think that there's an element of it as well that it's, it's technology. It's yeah, never been yeah. easier to be friendless because you've got endless Absolutely. entertainment at home. And, uh, but, and but, so I think sorry that to, it's a sorry product. To the technology is not incidental to this. The technology is part of progress because the progress is to get to a point where no human is reliant on any other human. So it's like, okay, why, we, why do we want that? You know? Well, I think that you can have technology and have the, the correct social attitude. You don't necessarily just need to be a slave to the, the tools you create. The tools you create reflect the philosophy that you that underpins your civilization. Uh, can, I, can I say one thing? Because in a way, I think that uh, it's a game of numbers. And you're correct in saying that uh, th these are big numbers. And big numbers do indicate the need for extra research. But it seems to me that there may be a trend in, uh, of, uh, let's say, overreacting. So for instance, you mentioned Fukuyama. Fukuyama is someone who is the paradigmatic thinker who overreacted in, in the 90s, if we take a specific interpretation of his claim. I, but, I think that Fukuyama is actually given a lot of short shrift by people. Yes, that's Fuku why I said if, they, title of his if they give one interpretation of his claim, because I think he's making a normative claim, whereas people think that he's making a descriptive claim. 
And they say the descriptive claim is obviously nonsense. Therefore, the book is nonsense. It's a bit more complex than that. I agree. But it seems to me that I don't see how the point of technology is to completely keep people apart. Because, for instance, I grew up with lots of technology. it 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 didn't harm me in a way. And there are many people who have grown up with technology, didn't harm them. But what is lacking, I think, here, because I want to move with a, more of a well, surgical can I just, precision. Can I quickly address that because the, the the technology isn't just a single gestalt entity that descends on us from above. Yeah, technology is created in I guess I'm just going to describe it as an organic way uh, to meet the needs and the interests of the people who make it. Yes, uh, and so there is a reason why. It is the Western liberal project that produces smartphones and then the Apple VR goggles and stuff like that. Because the point of the technology is to give a heightened sense of self-indulgence in every sphere of life, to make everything more personalized rather than anything more collectivized. And uh, for example, China will probably create collectivist technologies, technologies that facilitate um, society. Now, I'm sure you would hate this because what this looks like is the state having drones that could monitor every single person in a 20,000 yeah, man right. apartment. I, I do hate that. Yeah. Because they, they treat people as passive recipients of pleasure. That's the idea. That, but that's, that's the no, no, status no, no. mentality. It, it, no, no. It's not that they treat people as passive recipients of pleasure. Um, we do that as well. It's the approach to doing it. It's, they treat people as merely numbers that need to be just accounted for because they are, like you say, top-down looking at a huge system. Well, we're looking at this as the maximization of individual pleasure. And it's like, okay, but that's also not great, actually. <laughs> you know, I'm not suggesting we need to do what they do, but the the problem is our technology is really just to get to Nozick's pleasure machine as quick. So um, I, I kind of take the position that technology is sort of morally neutral and it's up to us to habituate ourselves and adapt to the technology we have. So I, I use but, technology. Sorry, as, I don't think it is morally neutral. So I know I'm jumping in on you again. Yes. But but that that's the point. I don't think it is morally neutral. Um, I think actually there was a moral teleology in the technology. As in, why would you create um, the VR, Apple VR goggles unless you wanted people to have a heightened sensory experience in all aspects of the world? That's a, that, that, that's a moral position, right? Because what you're doing is you're creating a barrier that separates you from the relations of other people. You're looking very skeptical. That's the- I am, yeah. That that you could say that in a way that are creating barriers between other people is also something that doesn't. That's also the toilet does it. I mean, you could also way, say yeah. that. So it's, fact, it's not a. In a way, yeah. It, it you could say that the privacy. fact we're presenting this in front of cameras <laughs> rather than addressing a room of people is creating a barrier. Well, no. This the the, the camera is not a barrier. Actually, the camera it facilitates a wider projection of but, what we're saying but here's my point because we that, could do this in front of an audience but it'd be much smaller so I, like a, a live audience would be much smaller but here's my point i think that habituating using technology as a facilitator of real world interaction is the, the sort of sweet spot and that's that also yeah seems logical as well as being backed up from my experience of using it and a good example of this is like concerts mm-hmm. think of like the massive concerts they used to do in, in the 80s and 90s like that's a good use of technology to bring lots of people together into a massive social experience. Yeah. Right. But, but the problem is our technological development now is the opposite direction of that. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're trying to make highly customized, unique individual experiences that mean we, we, we increasingly don't really um, relate to one another's 
other experience. Should we get on to the consumption can, can part? Can I say one, one thing to close this without hi hijacking the segment? Sure. I'll be very brief. For me, it's um, the main problem has to do with parents not monitoring their children's use of technology at a young age, and also a school that tells children from the very beginning that your civilization is the worst thing ever that makes it. Because when it comes to educating children, you don't teach everything at every age. So for instance, you don't treat, uh, you don't teach differential equations to six-year-olds. There are things that are not good to uh, expose children to at a young age. So, and I think that that's where the issue lies. I, I, that is part of it, but I really think that it's about shared experience. Okay. Um, so the problem with social media is that we think it's a shared space, but actually it's just a multiplicity of individual spaces because everyone's timeline is so, um, I realize I'm taking this off to topic. So yeah, it's all right. I apologize, Josh. I can see you like, I agree what you're about to, about to you know, say though. I actually, I think less personal, uh, cultivated experiences would be good mm -hmm. and more shared communal experiences might be good. Sure. I think my, to summarize my view on the whole thing, um, it, it's, if people were moral and virtuous, technology wouldn't be a problem. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, so anyway, back to consumerism. And this is the, the meme term, a uh, consumer, um, person who bases his identity on consuming the latest tech and entertainment or anything else that is not significant um, improvement for his or her life. Due to this, many products and franchises plateau as consumers will buy those products without any regard for quality. And I think it's uh, an offshoot of the, the term Kuma. I think it's applying that same logic of yeah. mindless yeah. consumption. <laughs> It's the individualized basis, whereas, you know, more collective experiences are called for orgies. And stuff. <laughs> but this is kind of inevitable, though, right? Like, why wouldn't you? If you're in a paradigm where everything is designed to give you the sort of maximized individual experience, then why wouldn't this come about? Well, I think that it, it's true of some people, but I think the fact that this isn't particularly widespread, even though it's possible for it to be widespread, is reassuring in a way, but it's still a big problem. The thing that actually put me onto this was this, um, the, uh, the, the new Stanley Cup craze, and uh, lots of mainstream media outlets have been trying to understand it, and of course, it's just an arbitrary are these just, trend. What are these? Just it, insulated... Cups. I think so. And I think because TikTok has made a big deal about them for some reason, right, okay. ev everyone's just like, oh, I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm so passionate about hydration now that I, I want all <laughs> these cups, which is just ridiculous because, you know, I, even when I was a young child, I hated sort of following trends and all that yeah. thing. I was, a, I was basically born a hipster. And uh, this sort of thing really wound me up. And so I think I get a very instinctual hatred of anyone who, who does this sort of thing. You're not passionate about hydration? I, I like hydration. I don't think I need to buy some branded mug. You know, a, a cheap glass of water works just as well. But it, it's being done not because they actually care about hydration, of course. Um, it's because they're following a trend and they want to get cheap social capital. And it's got to such excesses that you see things like this. 16-year-old claims her parents have spent $3,000 buying her 67 different Stanley Cups as the giant mugs become the ultimate playground status symbol. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. I mean, when I was in school, the playground status symbol would be like a pair of football boots from... Yeah. Like, expensive pair of football boots. Yeah, exactly. Not, not a mug. 
like we would call that gay. Oh no, this article doesn't have a picture, but there was just this massive collection of them, and this sort of thing I, kind of knocked me for six because it's one thing having a trend, but to my mind, these are not cool. I suppose you know I've got to the age yeah. where. The young people these days are doing things I don't understand. My my oldest daughter was like, "Can I get some Crocs?" And I was like, "The ugly shoes." And she's like, "Yeah, they're cool now." And I'm like, oh, "God, if anything, I'd... that just shows you how easily influenced young people are, right? Crocs mm. are now cool. They Deny used to be, your eyes. Yeah. They used to be really cheap because they were crap and ugly, and now they're expensive and hip. And it's just like in Greece, they're everywhere, especially yeah. during summer. Oh, yeah, I bet they are because they're functional, but like they're still ugly and crap." But now they're cool. And it's like, that's so weird. And I don't agree. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, if you had one good cup, that's fine. But you don't need to collect 67. And I would like to point out as well, the parents <laughs> have a lot to answer for, for facilitating this. If I went to my parents and said, I want 67 different Stanley Cups, they would probably get me a psychiatrist instead, yeah. rather than paying three grand to get all of that. So that's bad parenting in my view. I really hate this kind of mechanization of humanity as well. It's like I'm really concerned about my hydration as if you are just a series of figures. It's like, okay. Well, that was me sort of paraphrasing and teasing them. I'm not sure yeah. they're actually saying that. Well, no, no, but they, they, this is like, I've seen like, you know, the TikToks of like fitness freaks who are like, I eat this many calories and I do this many workouts as if like they're a video game character whose statistics they have to keep up. Sorry, I have to say, uh, because I've had some weight issues in the past, but calculating macronutrients has saved me. I well, me too. But like, <laughs> it just it frustrates me because it isn't a healthy way to view what frustrates me when I when I gain weight if I eat. Food. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, but just, for, for for a normal person who is not like struggling with their weight like we are, yeah, um, this just isn't the way that they should think. It's un it's unhealthy. So I'm going to go through some examples of. Um, some potentially uh, excessive amounts of consumption and we're going to assess whether they're maladaptive and whether they, they truly belong to the label of consumer. I'm so, just going to render them all as consumer and then I'll evaluate. Well, there might be one that you might disagree. I've, I've put in a trap for you. Okay, okay. So this one I think is, is pretty obvious. I really hate the, um, what are the, the, the things in the boxes called? Um, Funko Pops. That's it. I, I, I despise it, yeah. I hate them. The idea that something collectible can be mass produced mm -hmm. and sold in every shop, it's like, that's not a collectible. That's mm -hmm. junk. So my sort of notion, my way of dividing up the, the consumers with um, sort of healthy hobbies is whether you actually do anything or whether you just buy something that's mass produced yeah. and stick it on a shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, like if a guy's got loads of fishing rods or something, mm -hmm. okay, fine, because he uses them to fish. Yeah. It totally makes sense. Like, um, probably the closest thing to this for me would be I've got lots of guitar effects pedals, but each one does something different. Yeah. And it's to facilitate my hobby of playing guitar. Yeah. And so someone might see that I've got about 30 effects pedals and say, hang on, why do you need all of those? You can't even use them all at once. But they're sort of different flavors, they add something. Yeah. to it and it, yeah. it's, the, the function it's, it's an extension of a hobby i'm doing something with it it can also be social because you know yeah. you can't play in a band without a band yeah so that it, it's a that's my way a of <laughs> my way of justifying it if if you think differently please let me know and here is another one um similar sort of vein of as an entire wall of someone's house filled with these, these funko pops there's bubble heads Yes, and it's just 
needless. It's they're it's, just awful. I feel like this is like a manifestation of the human impulse to gather resources, but it's misfiring in modernity. Yeah, it's not it's not sticks and stones and you gathering know, tools. I mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's instead things that don't serve any purpose. And although that that that, that impulse to gather things, you know, yeah. I think it's why men covet a good stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is that same impulse, yeah. and so this is clearly going on here, to my mind, that. Someone's using this this relic that made sense at one time, and it doesn't make sense in modernity. Mm. And I think the the way to do it healthily actually is to apply that to you know your career, your workplace. If you want to acquire resources, um, there's this this horrible thing known as fiat currency that you can. Uh, I have two bobbleheads. Oh yeah, yeah. I have Archangel Tyrrell from Diablo Four or Three, yeah. and Daryl from Walking Dead. Yeah, I, I actually do have a couple of these. People have, no, no, no. People have given me them as gifts, and I've had to be like, oh, thank you so much. You know, uh, but I hate them with a passion. So, moving on to this, it's a bit of a small picture, so I'm sorry, but these are all Star Wars figures. I feel like, you know, if you're a child and you have a few, that makes perfect sense. If you're an adult and you have a full army, one has to ask some questions. What I mean, you if you're going to play a war game with them, okay. Mm-hmm. Because it, it looks like they're about to play a war game, but they're not. So no, that's weird. Sure, they're, they're about to strike an alliance. You <laughs> only won war. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, this one is sort of the one that trips me up, is this massive record collection. Now, I, I collect records, and I've probably got the equivalent of one of those crates, maybe, mm-hmm. if not two, maybe. And uh, is this excessive? Is this too much? I mean, I would suggest possibly that's too much, but at least they're functional. Mm-hmm. At least you can do something with them. Yeah, and I feel like I've seen record stores that actually have fewer records than this, so I think it's it's going over the line to a certain extent. But also, if you're a, like a collector, um, in the sense that perhaps you're you're building up a catalogue of records that you like, yeah, and you're really into music, I could understand this, even though it seems quite excessive, and there's probably. Lots of things that will never be listened to there. Yeah, if you go four crates down and six crates across, so you're in the center at the bottom, he has no idea what's in there and he's never going to listen to it. This is the equivalent of the Library of Alexandria with off CDs. You're selling it to me. Yeah, so uh, I don't see much of a problem here. I'm not a treasurist. You can walk around my house. But I don't see much of a problem here. I mean, with books, I have thousands of books. Yeah, thank you. But I mean, for me, they have value, and I'm sure the lovely person here would say that his uh, CDs have value for him. Or... Better this than Funko Pops. Yeah, so these yeah. at least got. Put, but I mean, you are right; it's a little bit excessive. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at least there is value in the collection. Like, this, yeah. If if you're if you're someone who's like, right, I need to find that. Um, what are they called? LPs or something? Yeah, yeah. If you want to find like an LP of a particular thing that's really hard to find. Well, this guy might have it. So, like you say, it acts like kind of the Library of Alexandria. Yeah. There's also... Um, there is a purpose to it. These people also serve a sort of social purpose in that a lot of obscure music, and I, I know about this, um, doesn't actually exist in digital media. Yeah. You can rip it off it, of an LP. There we go. And so there actually is disseminate it to the population as a whole. I've actually found music from these sorts of people. So I have a bit of a soft spot for it, even though I can recognize it's probably not fiscally responsible. So this next one's a bit is a bit left of field. Um, this is someone's pan collection. And uh, what do we reckon? I don't know. I, I, 
is it a restaurant or something if it's not Gordon Ramsay's? House? Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems a bit much. I think it's their kitchen, which, you know, the fact they're all matching as well, it yeah. seems to be a bit of an obsession. But they're also slightly different pans. Maybe you're cooking a dinner party. I'm trying to be charitable here. You, you know what this reminds me of? Some pictures that they show, that the police shows when they, when they catch criminals and they say this is the findings and they show <laughs> guns and, and drugs. You know, these, these are the stolen pans. So this one is my one to trip you up, Carl. I mean, oh, uh, well, <laughs> again, um, speaking about excessiveness. Uh, yeah, this is a bit excessive. So I'm actually going to come to the rescue of this. So um, when I first started working at Lotus Eaters, I did used to make fun of Warhammer. Yeah. And then you've slowly <laughs> won me around because you, you've Corrupt. told me about, you know, you, you spend time with your, your son playing yeah. it. You, you do it socially as, yeah. as part of the game and the actual process of painting them. Yeah. yeah. It's not just you're buying a piece of plastic and putting it on the shelf. No, no, you've got to it's make involved. it. It's involved. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I feel like actually it's a lot more justifiable than it, it might first appear. There's a reason that it's 40 years old now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and it, it really taps into the sort of autistic side of the male brain and it allows you to do something with it so it's got function as well. <laughs> so you get to... You know, and it, it feeds into the competitiveness of you and your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm going to beat you. So, but the, but you are right. Like this, this is excessive. 144,000 points, right? Just for anyone who doesn't know, that's colossal. A normal game is 2,000 points, right? Okay. <laughs> and also, this must have cost about 50 grand. So, my sort of carrying water for this guy is that this is a a YouTube channel that is dedicated oh. to this sort of thing, and I think they've been doing it for. 10, 15 years, if not more. Yeah. And so if it's his career, it's a bit more yeah. excusable. If that were his private collection, I'd be like, what are you doing? But as he does this for a living, records it for YouTube, the kind of spectacle It's millions of, it, of views. Yeah, it's 1.7 million views. So, you know, in many ways, you can justify it. Yeah, yeah. And though if it were a normal person, it might be a little bit excessive. And it is still a bit excessive. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Here's another one. This is taking a slightly different tone. I don't know what goes through someone's head to do this to themselves. Yeah, Pepsi Max is gross. <laughs> is this Coke like zero? Is what you mean? Is this like dentist propaganda or something? They want you to rot your teeth. I've no idea, but yeah, it's not. Good. But just two products in a large fridge <laughs> as well. I don't understand. I'm not sure what the thing on the um, the left hand side is. No. Might be Something ice. bad for your health. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Really <laughs> it, yeah. This is obviously bad. There's no reason to have this level of, of brand addiction. loyalty. It's, it's basically an, an obsession at this point, isn't it? I think it's, it's an addiction. Probably, yeah. I mean, there, there's caffeine in there, isn't there? So, yeah, and it's it just, you know, it's just not good for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a, an honorable meme here um, that is, is pertinent. It's, of course, talking about the same sort of lefty types who don't like things like Confederate statues will also get a statue <laughs> venerating a villain if it's a Funko Pop. And uh, I, I just had to throw that in there. And the, the, the final thing I wanted to mention is this. This is obviously excessive. So it's... Sorry, a, a, the walls covered in Titanic VHSs. Yes, <laughs> they're all Titanic VHSs, and every 
every bit of media in this room. They've basically got a Titanic room. Uh, part of me thinks they're doing this for a meme. Just There's no way you, you get that much just for the meme. But what if the Titanic VHSs are like five pence a piece? Like no one really well, It might wants be cheaper them. than wallpaper, I suppose. But... Yeah. And, and I think... That this is not a meme. It, it's a little bit scary, actually. Yeah. I think uh, if someone were doing this seriously and you went into that house, I would quickly leave if I were you. I just thought, wow, you really like the Titanic then. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I've only watched it once. Planning to die in a boating accident. Um, <laughs> there are some on? spots there on the wall that are, are not covered yet. That's true, yeah. yeah. The collection oh. is imperfect. Mm -hmm. Actually, there is one more that I found, and I, I personally hate this, and it is the, the collecting of Prime. I, the, the whole notion that YouTubers can release a horrible energy drink and uh, it's somehow desirous in any way. They're marketing it to gullible children. They literally are. My, my, my eight-year-old came back from the shop when one time with Prime and he was like, Dad, look, I've got Prime. And I was like, that's great, son. Yeah. <sighs> dear, dear. Anyway, it, uh, it just goes to show that marketing does work. And uh, oh, yeah. here's another thing that kind of depressed me. What is American culture? And it's mostly brand logos. There's also the Democrat and Republican logos and uh, yep. American flag. Um, just bullet points of the Constitution, I think, in the right-hand side. It's, it's, it's basically been broken down into branding, yeah. which I think is pretty depressing. It's not about the moral virtues or no. even the beauty of America as a country. Nope. It's just these logos, which uh, I think epitomizes how some people view culture. It's something to be consumed rather than why are young people living. acting like they've got no purpose and <laughs> got no future? Well, I wonder. It's become almost like a pseudo-religion brand loyalty, hasn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, here is some bingo that we can perhaps do for ourselves. Um, I think for myself, I have a gaming PC. That's true. Um, I have Discord for work. Yeah, yeah, but that comes with a gaming PC as well. Um, have a thousand pound, thousand uh, dollar collection of my guitar effects pedals. I have X Premium again for work. So most of these are for work, right? But a lot of these other ones, I feel like, don't really apply. Like I refuse to play, pay for YouTube Premium or Spotify Premium. I don't even know what a Squish Mallow is. Squish Mallow. I don't know, but uh. Yep, there you go. That's how you assess it. What about you guys? Any, anything there? Okay, I don't have Reddit Gold. I do have YouTube Premium because I'm sick of the bloody adverts. Um, ad block. Sorry? Use ad block. Well, on my phone. Okay, fair enough. Um, have watched the Star Wars sequel. I do have X Premium. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I hate watching the Star Wars sequel. I have sequels. drank a soda in the past week. I, I probably have a gaming PC. I have a very expensive PC. I don't know what it does. I don't have a handbag. I don't smoke weed. I don't have an anime figurine. Technically, I have a Funko Pop, but that's only because it was forced upon me by gift. I haven't watched a Marvel movie in the past year. I don't know what a Stanley... Oh, no, I do know what a Stanley Cup is because we covered it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a $1,000 phone. I don't have $200 sneakers. I do have a $1,000 collection. My Warhammer armies. <laughs> I haven't eaten junk food yeah. in the past week. I don't subscribe to any fans. I don't have Pokemon. I don't have a console. I don't know what Amiibo is. I don't have a Squishmallow. I don't have Spotify. I 
two plus streaming services. Well, yeah, because I've got kids. <laughs> I don't have Discord Nitro, and I don't have cable, so I'm kind of half Kuma. I think I think you're okay. You you haven't got over a majority. Half Kuma, it's not good. So I I have eaten junk food, no, no, and I, I also I, have the the thousand dollar plus phone. If you go by sort of it's a Great British pound conversion, I suppose. No, no, I would be very rank very low in consumerism. So I think that what is to blame is this. This is a real thing. I did my research and. If you're listening, it says, turn customers into fanatics, products into obsessions, employees into ambassadors, and brands into religions. Yeah. And is that Zuckerberg on the stage? It's not. It is uh, from Qualtrics, which right. is a service I've actually had to use in a previous workplace before. Um, I think there's something to do with business in some business capacity. Yeah, I think so. And they've got that same slogan there, and I think it's from their, their summit in 2018. Yes, yeah, it says down the bottom. So it is a real thing, this dystopian, um, oh, I can't get back now, there we go. This rather dystopian speech, I suppose. And I think that this advertising philosophy has what um, has hooked all of these people who are empty, they're looking for meaning, but they're doing it in the wrong places because Buying material things might make you feel good in the short term when you actually buy it, but then they just become part of the furniture. You don't pay attention to them. I think the way you get meaningful experiences, at least in my experience, I'm certainly not you know, an expert necessarily, is you go out and, and you make them. It's, something, it's about doing things. It's not about being a passive consumer. You're an active part of the world. And I think the, the word active is the central part. You're out doing stuff. You're out meeting people. Yeah. You can say you're doing something with your life because you are. And, you know, going to work, coming home and just buying stuff, there's no way to live your life. Yeah. Everything except for my Warhammer armor is consumerism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, hitherto, all people we conventionally refer to as historians are to be thought of as prehistorians. There is only one objective historian. It's called Netflixius, and the people at Netflix are the only ones who have access to his annals of history. And uh, he says basically that uh, homosexuality was incredibly prevalent in ancient Greece, and especially when it comes to Alexander the Great and Achilles and Patroclus. I don't know, I, when, I, when I read the Iliad, I never saw the passage where Achilles and Patroclus were rubbing tips or something. Nope. It just wasn't there. I mean, there's there's the passage where they're with their women, and then there's Achilles being like, he took my woman, I need my woman back, I'm deeply in love with her, but he doesn't actually have sex with a man. Yeah, but I don't know, maybe that was a way of... <laughs> subtly hinting that he was gay. Subtly being hinting, about yeah. His, his wife and concubine, yeah. Anyway, now uh, speaking of resisting uh, dumbing down, you can visit the website. Uh, Calvin Robinson has joined us, and uh, you can use the code Crusade to take fifty uh, percent off uh, gold tier. And this is for uh, new and uh, new subscribers and those who up upgrade. And also, you can ch uh, send video comments for fatherly advice and make it clear that it is for Calvin. If you want to send it to Calvin by opening with "Dear Father Calvin," it helps us sort our emails out. Um, now, let's move forward. 
Netflix made a documentary about Alexander the Great called The Making of a God. And uh, within the first eight minutes, they turn him gay. We Can see I him? just point out that Netflixius has got this wrong? As I was aware, Alexander was black. Yeah, I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he was played by Denzel Washington, personally. Yeah. Well, uh, he also said, uh, hints that Caesar wasn't a lesbian. So, so that's also an, a problem. That, Caesar? Yeah. Yeah, Let's Caesar was a lesbian. Yeah, yeah. How's Netflix that? uses yeah. someone who has got some things wrong. So anyway, uh, what ha- you see there, there's a video with Alexander in very intimate uh, relationships with Ephestion. He was a man of uh, penetrating military insight. And uh, they had uh, several community notes on this uh, yes. tweet by N. Wokeness. Because and I noticed the community notes were all gone. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so I rate all of them as unhelpful. And I wasn't right. the only one. Let's <laughs> Okay, so what was fun about this is that if you see here, you don't have to look at that, but there's a dude here, a Netflix dude saying there was no vocabulary in Greece about uh, homosexuality. There was just being sexual. That's not true. So that's profoundly mistaken. And uh, let me just say that because this has to do with one of the worst features of ancient Greece, the direction of sexuality and attraction was profoundly uh, understood. And the, the word pedo comes from pederasty. And if they didn't understand that se- where sexuality is channeled and where attraction is coming from, they wouldn't have coined that word. Yeah. So this is someone who is genuinely claiming that he is making a historical account of actual figures and knows nothing about the culture he is talking about, yeah, you can, even uh, in its bad features. You can read Plato's Symposium, and you, you know, it's a short book, it doesn't take very long, and you'll get all you need to know about that sort of thing. It, it disproves what he says. Well, I, mean, I can't can, believe he hasn't read it if he's talking about ancient Greece. Well, in, in Xenophon's Anabasis, he gives you a description of the 10 generals of the army and points out that one of them is a notorious boy lover. And he had a, a lust for boys. And this was just something that Xenophon says. This is just a, a characteristic of this man's personality. And then he carries on. So they, they absolutely did have a language and an understanding of that. So I don't know why he would say that. Yes, so uh, let me just say here that um, you would expect the main sources, the main historians who wrote about Alexander to write about things like that explicitly. And the main historians are... And they would. They are Arian, Quintus, Curtius, Rufus, Diodorus of uh, Sicily, and Plutarch. Mm. Uh, But they didn't write explicitly about scenes of homosexuality. They, they, they didn't. They, they, they did write explicitly about scenes of heterosexuality. They did. Um, so they would have mentioned it. They would have mentioned it. And uh, speaking of the Anabasis of Cyrus, there is also a, a very weird passage with a guy called Epistenes, mm-hmm. who, was, who absolutely fell in love with a, with a boy that was about to be executed and went to yeah. Xenophon and the other leaders of the, of the Greek mercenaries who were trying to go back to Greece. And uh, he told them basically, you know, just, I don't want to live and carry on without this boy. And they allowed it and they left. So if you would write something like that about a soldier, you would expect the main historians to write something like that about Alexander the Great. Yeah. If, if, it, was a, if it was something that he did, they would have mentioned it. 
like they did for other people who did that. Yes. And they mentioned it. And uh, although they didn't use the word homosexuality because it's not a Greek word, um, <laughs> although it has some Greek uh, yeah. origins, uh, they absolutely had an idea of where uh, the, of uh, w the phenomenon. And also, let me just say, in the symposium of Plato that you mentioned, uh, there is a myth of Aristophanes who's talking about the origins of attraction. And he says something like, uh, in the beginning, human beings had were, uh, composite bodies. And uh, you had uh, men, men and men in one body, me women and women in another body, and men and women in, in one body. And Zeus thought that he should punish them for their pride and split them up with thunder. And ever since, they are trying to join the body of the, the, their previous body. And uh, anyway, Plato has the idea that this is a very sexual analysis of the situation. But the point is that um, that is a myth that is used as an explanation for how you can have all the kinds of attraction among human beings. So the idea that there was zero understanding of it is completely ridiculous. Uh, and also, let me just say, there are many passages where people refer to things like that. And one thing also, um, which uh, is uh, weird, Aristotle in the politics talks about uh, homosexuality and also how in ancient, some ancient cultures it wasn't uh, seen as uh, necessarily bad and it wasn't. He also mentions the Celts as being, as being very tolerant of homosexuality. Celts so, are lame and gay. So if if he was if there was zero understanding of that, there would be no passages of the sort. Uh, speaking of Aristotle, you can definitely check our premium content and the and the um, symposium we did with Carl yep. on Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics Part One and Part Two. Uh, you can subscribe with five pounds a month to all our premium content and. Be sure to give it a watch. Now, let me just say also, because there is another um, idea about the word. There's also the word kinedos, and uh, I'm not going to, I'm going to talk about the Oxford University Press blog, which um, is not just the, any website. It has some interesting features here about the word. And they say the word uh, in fourth centu century BCE, uh, the orator of the Mostenes is labeled Akinevos in the courtroom by his opponent in order to besmirch his masculinity and accuse him of shameless conduct. In the Gorgias, Plato cites the life of the Kinevi as being the prime example of hedonistic living. Roman authors are more detailed as to what exam exactly makes the Kinevos' behavior so wretched. Catulus, Marshall, and Juvenal all, all portray Kinevi as desiring sexual penetration by other men and often as displaying extreme effeminacy. And anyway, they, they are saying about the term here, and let me just also say that there was a kind of twerking involved, and that should generate uh, an, an issue uh, about cultural appropriations, especially <laughs> uh, on Netflix, because it says that Marshall and Juvenal specifically associate this individual with a particular form of dance in which the kinedos wiggles his buttocks salaciously. <laughs> So it's a form of, of a male yeah. twerker. <laughs> so way. what you're saying is that um, black women in America are culturally appropriating ancient Greek culture. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think essentially if you look at deep into the, the old groups that are the protected groups of uh, 
those who play identity politics in the left, they're not compatible groups. Did you have waffle houses in ancient Greece? I'm sure people were fighting in I am definitely America. certain that we did. <laughs> okay. Now, one thing to say, because uh, the community notes were the worst uh, community notes ever. And uh, when uh, you, you could definitely see so many community notes being taken down. Yeah. And people, they reacted very vehemently and they said, no, no, it's an absolute fact that Alexander was gay or bisexual. And here's the evidence. And if you click the links, it just didn't suggest anything. Yeah. Most of them were just, trust me, bro, I'll show you some of them. But let me just say the other thing, because they just had the passage from Arian. Yep. And I'm just going to show you some bits of it. Atekvatana Alexander offered the sacrifice just as he was accustomed to do after any success and held athletic and musical contests. If Estion fell ill on the seventh day of his illness, they say that the stadium was full as there was an athletic competition for boys on that day. When Alexander was told that Ephestion was in a bad way, he quickly left to go to him, but he was no longer living by the time he arrived. And anyway, they are saying basically he was profoundly grieving. Oh, no. What's so gay about mourning? Well, being upset that your friend died. Yeah, your yeah. best friend's died and you're like, oh, God, you know, oh, that's right. You're a homo. Yeah, so I, I want to say that basically this is bad against straight people because it suggests and is ba based on the assumption that straight people don't have feelings. It's also a cultural difference, right? Well, it's all, there's also an element of it, there's, it reveals something about the people asserting that this proves anything, that right. you can't have a relationship with someone without it being sexual. Yeah. I mean, it's very Freudian. Very porn brain. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but the 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 thing I think is interesting is um, in Anglo culture, crying is very unmanly, whereas actually in ancient Greek culture, crying was an appropriate expression of sentiment. Um, so I mean, Alexander spends like three days mourning in his tent for something uh, for Hephaestion. Um, this is totally normal and completely appropriate in that culture. That wouldn't be appropriate in our culture, but we're a different people in a different time and different place with different mores. So it's this doesn't. Uh, so, what we, the, our perspective from now, this seems like a very strange and excessive um, gushing of emotion, but that's only because we're different to them. And let me just say that this has to do with the publicity of emotion, and especially you can find it in Greece and Italy right now, yeah. especially in the Mediterranean, you know, South Mediterranean, yeah. and you have plenty of theatricality yeah. into it. That's why if you see, if you compare the politics and the public dialogue of uh, Greece and Italy on the one hand and um, you know the, the UK and uh, the US you see much more theatricality yeah. in uh, in Greece and Italy obviously I, i'm not saying that the public discussion is ideal in the UK and the US yeah, yeah. but the it's idea of public emotion is very prevalent in in Greece and Italy but there were other sources that maybe you know what would the area know Okay, well, he was the earliest, wasn't he? Yeah, but he never read Netflixius. Some people here have read. I mean, so who loved? <laughs> he was the closest in time to Alexander's <laughs> life, but yeah. we have here um, who loved Alexander the Great yeah. transcript and zero sources. Yeah, someone says here throughout his life, Alexander married three women and fathered at least two children. Average gay man ever. Yeah, but also had several male lovers. Name source? Them. No, no source. And this is also in Cambridge. Uh, among his closest relationship was that with his general and bodyguard, Ephestion, with the relationship often 
compared by ancient authors to that of the Homeric heroes Patroclus and Achilles, who were considered to be a couple in classical literature. No, they weren't. Alexander, who, yeah. <laughs> Alexander, upon his conquering of Persia, is said to have taken King Darius's eunuch Bagos as his lover. How could you take a eunuch as a lover? Where? Again, sources. Okay, sources. I mean, he was just said to. Yeah, and he's this guy right now. They said, uh, "Source, trust me, bro." Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if Estion unfortunately perished from fever the year before Alexander's death, Alexander was said to be devastated and lay weeping on his comrade for a day and night before being pried away. He cut his hair in mourning and staged elaborate funeral games to honor him. Such relationships were fairly common in the ancient world. It is only in the relatively recent past that homosexuality became viewed as deviant and it is only recently the legal. Okay, so whatever. Where are the sources? There are none. Yeah. And also, you see, they also try to make, they also link it back to the Iliad and Achilles. And because there were uh, some passages, I think, in um, Arian where Alexander is talking about his, uh, he wanted to associate himself with yeah. an origin from Argus, and he was constantly talking about Achilles and Hercules. And in fact, th there are passages where he was talking to his men that we've been further than Hercules did. But again, there's nothing in the Iliad to suggest that Achilles has yeah. a sexual relationship with Patroclus. Another person here who reacted to the second community notes um, that was raised against and wokeness is Samuel Vlodowski. And he says, it's actually not unproven. It's a well-known fact that Alexander of Macedon had an affair with his top general. Oh, source. Where is their source? Where's the source? In fact, he grieved greatly when Ephestion died. That means he must have been having sex. <laughs> but but you I doubtless will grieve greatly when you know my best <laughs> friends die. But you all <laughs> don't want to accept history you don't like. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, wh what's the source? Again. You only feel sentiment to people you're having sex with. That's the, yeah. the real revelation here. Yeah, that's exactly here, it. Here, the Manchester historian, that was another of the sources, says here... Um, one must examine the sparse evidence about Alexander's life to understand his sexuality. In his early years, he showed little interest in sexual relationships. Quintus Curtius, the, the writing Quintus Curtius, stated that Alexander's parents purchased a courtesan fearing that the young prince was genius, uh, meaning womanish. So how is that a suggestion? I mean, sorry to break it down to you, but there are many, many people who fear that their children are going to be like that and because they think it's a bad thing uh no whatever it's their their, their opinion just by saying that i i fear my son is womanish doesn't mean that the son is gay no, he's it trans. means that the parent is afraid is afraid that the child is going to be in a in a way that they don't uh, like but i mean alexander took over macedon when he was 19 I think he might have had things on his mind. So I ain't worried about girls. It's like, bro, I'm literally next in line to the throne. I'm invading Persia. Like, I think I've got more on my mind than girls. <laughs> Sorry, you know. <laughs> yeah, so again... That my was... dad was just assassinated, you know, like, anyway. Here is another uh, tweet from N Wokeness, and I'll just... And I just copy-pasted the note, the community note, to because I knew that they were going to take it down. It said, readers added context. This is a source, trust me, bro, by the way. Readers added context. They thought people might want to know Alexander the Great having sexual relationship with other men is not unproven speculation. It happened. The debate among historians is more in defining his sexuality using modern ter uh, standards as these 
definitions were not used in ancient Greeks. And they just had a link to Google Scholar just saying, here are the people who say this. The thing is and like, they're all 20th century people. There's a guy there going, well, you'd complain if they put the sacred band of thieves in there. It's like, well, they were explicitly a, a, a unit made up of gay lovers. Like, okay, make a documentary about that if you want to make a documentary about ancient Greek gays. You know, but it's just, mm. it's not that they didn't exist or they didn't know. And if they had thought Alexander was, I mean, in the previous one, they were like, oh, well, you know, there's no evidence. It's just speculation that Hephaestion uh, was, go down a bit, go down a bit. Um, well, it's never explicitly stated as Alexander's lover yet, because it wasn't. He was always referred to as the friend of Alexander. Yeah. That doesn't mean they had sex. I always yes. find it strange how they're trying to capitalize on the prestige of a historic figure. It's similar to yeah. casting people as black when they weren't. Yeah. When there are actual figures in history that might be good characters to make a, a series about that they overlook and instead want to paint over um, you know, European ones or straight ones. Because they want to take something away from them. Yes. And uh, if you see also down there, they say that uh, the shrines of Achilles and Patroclus, two other likely lovers that suffered history's homosexual erasure. Yeah, but there literally wasn't. They're like, look, the sacred band of Thebes is a, a band full of gay people. Okay, great. You know. they, it go, goes, uh, it gives a whole different meaning to, you know, a general trying to rally up his troops. Let's F them. <laughs> Sorry. Did they say that in ancient Greece today? The, the reasoning behind the sacred band is that the, the men wouldn't run away because they wouldn't want to leave their lovers. Yeah. So, um, Josh, you mentioned something about uh, Netflix here because, again, it's, it all comes back to Netflixius. And I don't know, because Netflixius knew everything about history. I don't know if it's a collective project or something, but he also sort of knew everything. And this is also another um, magic uh, thing from Netflix comes from Queen Cleopatra. We have covered it and we have spoken about it. It's definitely uh, the face of a Greek person, isn't it? Yeah, especially also a Ptolemaean dynasty heir. And uh, it has 1.2 out of 10. I think that's 1.2 too much. But I'm, I'm glad that they, they sort of gave that uh, to it. And let me just show you this from Liberocrat Media. They're just saying, you know, it just shows you the thing that Netflix is, um, is doing. Game, anime, books, Netflix adaptation. They have to fill the diversity quotas. The, the crusade of inclusivity. Yes. Now, I'm going to say something that is going to sound a bit weird, but I do think that Netflix is an instrument for propaganda. Hello, hello. So the question is, what is going on right now in Greece? Why would, for instance, something like that be interest, be a, a good idea for those who are playing progressivist ident identity politics in Greece? Let's listen to Peter Tatchell, if you want a source on it. It says, the Greek government's bill legalizing gay marriage and adoption right has received widespread support among parliamentarians. Bravo, if passed, Greece will become the 37th country and the first Orthodox nation to recognize same-sex marriage in national law. Hurrah. Now, this is a conversation that should take place in Greece, but not in the way that it does. You don't get ignoramuses from left and right and anywhere to just shout in a catty way to each other. Um, this is a dialogue that hasn't taken place in Greece, a serious dialogue about it. The 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 people haven't been asked and uh, i don't know to what extent this is uh, an agenda that is popular also with uh, 
not only with the people but also with the with the main party. So there are concerns that the the ruling party right now is pushing forward an agenda that is you could say progressivist friendly on all sorts of things without people wanting. And let me just say one thing: in in December they pushed forward a bill that legalized thirty thousand illegal uh, migrants. And they said that Greeks are not working in the fields. We need them. But what, they did it in a way that was really interesting. The, the main party said, if you don't vote for it, and you're a member of that party, you're erased from the party. You're losing your position from the party. So if all of you don't agree, if you, anyone doesn't agree with it, they get erased from the party. Now, uh, I don't think they're going to do the same with this, because I want, I want to be fair and presenting but the point is that the uh, the family law in Greece is so intertwined that if they grant gay marriage they sort of immediately grant adoption rights right. and the conservative argument would be well if several countries as Tatchell says 37th if other 36 countries have walked down this road why not and there are significant concerns about how this impacts uh, children why not wait and see the long-term effects on children from the other 36 countries. And instead of doing that, which is the appropriate and the sensible thing to do, to just rush and virtue signal to the progressives of the, of the West that you know, we are putting, pushing forward that agenda. So that's something that is uh, uh, an interesting side to note. And just to end on an, on an, on an important uh, point, History is intertwined with memory. It is a form of creating a collective memory. And it is also who we are. The more we learn about history, the more we learn about our origins and how we have been shaped from historical forces and influences. So this is something that requires the utmost reverence. It requires focus on method and seriousness. It shouldn't be used for short-term political gains. This sort of um, is a, an, idea, um, an agenda that, is just say, that just says, I'm going to use history just to brainwash you. I'm not going to care about who you are. I'm not going to care about how your identity has been shaped. I just care about uh, the, the short-term political gains of a group that is being represented. So I think... I think that's profoundly disrespectful. And just say that it's not just Netflix. You could say it's also Disney. Oh, yeah. Elon Musk uh, circulated this, and uh, feel free to look. It says an anonymous source just sent me this from Disney. It's mandatory institutionalized racism and sexism. It's all about the quotas. Say, and that was also, you know, when you want to apply to several key positions and jobs in several institutions, they, one of the questions is, how do you promote diversity? For instance, in, in the university yeah, yeah. I was in, they were saying, how do you promote diversity? Yeah. How have you promoted diversity? Pretty and they say all these quotas there. So we live in an age that profoundly disrespects history. By profoundly disrespecting history, national identity is being profoundly disrespected. And I think that this is unbelievably pernicious and should be resisted. Okay. Well, on that subject, let's talk about diversity fatigue because there has been a great deal of diversity promoted across the entire West, and of course, going into various uh, the extremities of it. And this has been 
something that people have been pushing back against. And actually, uh, don't worry about grabbing that link, John. I won't worry about it. Um, and actually, it's come to the point where the left is realizing that this is giving them diminishing returns. Uh, and so they are going to try and change their strategies. Um, but before we begin, go to the website, sign up uh, for either £5 a month or use the code CRUSADE to sign up the gold tier and go and watch Calvin Robinson's Common Sense Crusade. Uh, you can send Calvin video comments and questions in his fatherly advice section. Just make sure that you specify it's for Calvin Robinson in the beginning of your comments. Anyway, so the word woke was weaponized by the right. And this is a four-year-old article. So you can see they've been like, hang on a second. We, we have this wonderful word that as they, uh, they point out at the beginning, it's like, well, this, this came out of black culture and it was uh, staying woke. And it, was, it, it dates at least back to the 60s, although other articles that I found uh, dated back to the 30s. It's like, okay, that's great. So you guys, the white liberals, have appropriated this from black people. Uh, and they say, well, like political, politically correct before it, the word woke has come to connote the opposite of what it means. Technically, going by the Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition, woke means aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues of racial and social justice. But today we are more likely to see it being used as a stick with which to beat people who aspire to such values. Right. So it still means that thing. It still means, essentially, you are a racialist, a sexualist, a genderist, a whatever, you know, all of these things. And you think that society should be organized on those lines and attentive to those lines. But it's not a very popular thing because, of course, people would like individualistic meritocracy because they think, well, I just want to get on with my life, bro, and not be unfairly profiled by the fact that I'm a man or that I'm white or that I'm whatever, straight, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think that part of the reason that it's been uh, turned against the left from the right is because it's a stupid, grammatically incorrect word that paints them as stupid. Like uh, I don't you, you're either you know a, you know you're either awake or you're asleep. You're not woke. That doesn't make sense. No, no, no. It's fine because like it, it becomes like a colloquialism. It right? does. Yeah, so that's what it has become. Yeah, yeah. But, and, um, and that's fine. We use them all the time. I think actually the problem is the idea of trying to uh, redistribute resources in society along the lines of race, sex, sexuality, uh, or any other of these arbitrary characteristics. Uh, is well, frankly, it's illiberal. Like it looks to people to be a, a method of overt racialist discrimination, and most people are actually not racist, and so don't want to see overt racial discrimination. I know this is going to sound crazy in the year of our Lord twenty twenty four, but I think that most people do think that way, uh, and so they uh, they are complaining that criticizing woke culture has become a way of claiming victim status for yourself rather than acknowledging that more deserving others hold that status. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing because there are some questions to be asked. Whose speech is being silenced constantly? Let's go further than speech. Let's talk about who's being actively not hired for jobs or suppressed yeah. for jobs. Like when the, the RAF um, had leaked documents saying, well, we keep getting useless white males applying where we want black people or brown people or women or whatever. And it, okay, well, who's the victim in that circumstance? It actually is. I mean, there was, a, there was a chap a couple of years ago who sued a local police force because they had actively discriminated against him for being a straight white man. I and think so, that British people in particular are basically being made second-class citizens in yes. our own country because the laws apply to us differently. That is completely true. I mean, I, if you were to do a, um, a study on 
who has gone to jail for hate speech, uh, you'll find almost all, I bet every single one of those people is white. And probably a man too. No, no, there are women who go to jail for hate sure, speech. Sure, but um, it'd be a majority. It'd be it'll straight be the majority white men. Then. You are right. Um, but this, notice that criticizing work culture has become a way of claiming victim status because the, rather than acknowledging that some are more deserving than others to hold that status. But that just says, well, victim status is the highest thing you can aspire to in our civilization. I think that shows the hypocrisy of, of the left because they their modus operandi is rights for me, but not for thee in the name of rights for all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They constantly talk about human rights. They can shut up about it. But they, they, they just want uh, rights for those who they claim to protect and those and uh, they don't care about the, the rights of others. And just to point another thing that I think the left has completely lost the native population in, in, in Western countries. That's why there's so much they want to change the mix and talk down to the native yeah, yeah. population. I think um, trying to, to couch being a victim as somehow being virtuous is really quite pathetic. That's the pernicious thing. It is, yeah, so, because in, in my sort of frame of mind is that victimhood is probably a mindset. Like, you know, I've had people try and start fights with me before. Sure. I didn't consider myself a victim of that because I didn't let it get to me. It, it didn't really result in anything yeah. that negative for me. So to, if I were to describe myself as a victim, it would seem weird. And so if you view yourself as a victim of even more nebulous things than that, like, oh, society has kind of left me unequal to certain other people, mm. then that's even weaker than that. But it's not just that. It's, it's to suggest that the problem is a virtue is something you yourself cultivate. So a virtue is something you have to practice over and over and over within a certain sort of prescribed bound to get the best outcome through doing a particular thing. Being a victim doesn't require you to do anything. It actually requires someone else to do something to you. And so suddenly you are considered virtuous, though you've taken no action yourself. So it is actually the opposite of a virtue that's being masqueraded as the virtue. So this is, it, I mean, what, the way you're describing it, it's a vice to wallow in victimhood. Absolutely. And this is being flipped around. So now this is the virtuous status. This is what people should aspire to be. And of course, that's just going to incentivize more and more people to become victims, uh, consider themselves victims. And so this, this is the problem with the entire frame of the left. here. So this is why conservatives have been hammering them on it. And they're starting to notice. I mean, this is from January this year. Um, but uh, they're saying, well, look, the term has been co-opted by Republicans as a pejorative term. Yes, because you are reframing what virtue and vice are to be the inverse of what they traditionally mean. Exactly. And uh, the, uh, the best example is courage, because you yeah. could say that courage has to do with the willingness. Uh, the traditional example of courage is definitely not painting your hair in a weird color, and just screaming how oppressed you are yeah. in, a, in a room full of people that cheer you. It's worth mentioning as well. Like, I don't know whether you guys remember when sort of the woke stuff started coming on the scene. But the thing that made you realize that these people are wrong and are lunatics is their personal conduct. Yeah. Like they viewed themselves as victims and conducted themselves in ways. And I remember these sort of um, feminist freakout compilations yeah, yeah. on YouTube in, you know, like 2015 and, you know, you were doing videos on them. And you could see their lack of virtue on display for all to see. And that's people's gateway into 
understanding these so-called progressives yeah. is that they're weird, unhinged lunatics that yeah. aren't good embodiments of virtue. No, they want they want to take the opposite of virtue and present it as virtue. And so this is this is why Republicans have gone so hard on this. And I think they're of course right to have done so. Um, I mean, the DeSantis administration they're using here uh, has just essentially criminalized work ideology, um, making sure that it can't be um, uh, promoted in schools, in government institutions, or anything else that the government has uh, direct uh, control over. And so they're complaining that DeSantis has implemented policies in schools that restricted the topics of race, oppression, gender, and sexual orientation in the classroom through the Parental Rights and Education Law and the Stop Woke Act. Great. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to stop people who are like, look, what we want to do is promote vice. We're going to promote all the vices and we're going to tell you these are virtues when in fact they are literally constitutionally the opposite of what a virtue is. Why wouldn't you want that stopped? The only people who benefit are the people who literally want to gain a special status for having done nothing. Again, to be a victim, something has to happen to you. You don't achieve victim status. You suffer victim status. It is also worth mentioning as well that a lot of the psychological literature suggests that the people who um, signal that they're a victim actually score quite high on the dark triad um, measures. I'm not, I hope I'm not presaging. No, 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 you're not. But that's okay. Um, and so actually, um, people who do this seem to be signaling a, a sort of transition of resources from one person to another. So it's being used in a sort of... Sort of um, Manipulative, yeah, it's emotional blackmail basically yes. to yeah. try and get resources from one set of people to themselves. If you don't agree with me, I'll kill myself and it's going to be on you. Yeah, is that sort of yeah. um, style of rhetoric perhaps yeah. not as extreme but, but as that. It's, you're oppressing me. Um, mm -hmm. but, but that's the point. It's, it's essentially the transfer of uh, resources from people who are traditionally virtuous and good to people who are vicious and evil. And it's unjust. It shouldn't be done. Uh, and so they are concerned that, you know, the conservatives are depicting wokeness uh, as a bad thing. And this is, this is making them unpopular. It's like, yeah, but it's so obviously a bad thing. Like you don't have to be politically engaged. Say, yeah, actually, I don't want a bunch of Black Lives Matter grifters stealing billions of dollars from well-meaning donors and then buying themselves giant mansions. Like how many mansions do they need to own before? It'd be terrible if that happened, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, that was just a hypothetical. It also happened in the UK as well. Didn't yeah, it? I know. It's funny know. that. Um, yeah, all these fundraisers yeah. just happen to fund thieves. Yeah, um, but of course, you know, you are just a racist, don't you? Yeah, of course. <laughs> because woke is associated with black people, capital B. Uh, it's been a useful club for those who want to beat those seeking justice over the head with white grievance politics to win elections without deploying explicitly racist terms so what they're saying is oh you saying woke that's you being a dog whistle for being what yeah, yeah 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 shut up okay don't even care and the great thing about it because it didn't matter um people are people are just beyond it right no 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 you are woke and we're not having it and that's what they've come to the conclusion of and so they've realized that hang on a second our once sensible call for social awareness has been broken by the right. It's been bludgeoned beyond recognition by the right. So that's good. The right has smashed the term woke uh, and managed to make it a toxic thing, uh, which is good. And they are very uh, outright and explicit by saying, no, no, the right has um, made this a poisonous thing. Uh, but they also say that outside of right-wing spaces, the term woke has also died. So in their own left-wing spaces. But a lot of the reason for that, they say, 
is that because even though the right made successfully made the term radioactive, but some of its collapse is also tied to the way that the slogan was mutated and bankrupted in predominantly white liberal spaces. Because of course, instead of radical structural reform to make sure that vice is equally rewarded as virtue is, uh, the white liberals are kind of guilty about their virtues because they are self-aware and they think, oh yes, well, I have to do these things because these things are virtues, but I have to try and recognize the equality of vice along with that. Uh, and so the dark triad types who are just here to grift your money, um, they're supposed to be as morally equal. I have to say something on this because uh, we were discussing it yesterday on a discussion that is going to be released uh, soon. I think uh, one of the interesting features in the mindset of those people, I'm going to say woke. Some people are pissed off when I do this, but no, no, I no, like annoying them. I, I love annoying them. Uh, they are equate. They, they say that they don't want, on the one hand, equality of results. Some of them, they will say this, yeah. but and but they want equality of opportunity. But they tie them together by treating equality of results as the criterion for equality of opportunity. So wherever you have unequal results, they say opportunities were unequal. And the example is Ibram X. Kendi says wherever there are racial disparities, there are racial discrimination. That is axiom. Yeah. So. That's why they are used as uh, people say that they are crypto Marxists. Mm. And to a friend of mine who says that uh, the right wing is uh, panicking over Marxism, please answer me that. I mean, they are. I mean, they're literally race communists, and they, they say it. Um, but this, but the the woke has um, been bludgeoned successfully on the right. But it's also dying in the left because in the left they've come to the conclusion that actually. When Pepsi's like, yeah, maybe we're going to become woke, or when Disney's like woke, that's not going to bring structural change, actually. It's a way of solidifying the institutions in the new paradigm. Uh, and so the, what this, uh, this opinion writer says, he calls the subculture recognitionism. Uh, the overarching focus <laughs> on the subculture was advocating for individuals and organizations to show they recognized the existence of, the existence of systems of oppression and this focus effectively cast aside the issue of taking collective action or pursuing policies that would address the roots of those systems. Instead of seeing woke as a mandate to do something big, this group remained stuck in the zone of awareness and crafted a culture of intricate signaling. So it's not that woke is bad, it's that woke is not successful because they're finally recognizing, we were pointing this out five years ago, it, if a corporation can become your best friend because it signals the woke talking points you want, that means you are contained. You are contained. And they've finally got to this. This was written last year. It's funny that um, after the Occupy Wall Street movement, yeah. you see a skyrocket yeah. in these sorts of terms. It's Obvious containment. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and so the recognitionist set took anti-racist educator Robert D'Angelo as their prophet and homed in on approaching anti-racism through the lens of awareness, education, and DEI, types in DEI type initiatives. They encouraged placing black squares of solidarity on Instagram circulating reading lists about the history of racism and blah, 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 right? Uh, to change the behavior of white people to try and make people feel more included. But of course, the issue, as you were saying, is actually it doesn't matter because if you act in a vicious way, you do not get the same results as if you act in a virtue. Exactly. And they are robbing people of agency because yeah. if, you, if you are recognized as an agent, mm -hmm. you're also recognized as an agent who can fail to take advantage yes. of some opportunity as an, an agent Yep. who can uh, go wrong. But uh, they are saying that whenever you have people doing wrong, 
It means that there was structural inequality yes. and they, structural problems, which means right. that they don't, that they are talking about recognition yeah. on the one hand, but whenever we're talking about recognition, it's always recognized as what? And they re want to recognize people just as passive recipients of well-being, yes. pleasure points. But, but they are right. that It is true that there is a structural bias in favor of virtue and against vice. You don't get the same resources for being an indolent drug addict that you do for being uh, a hyper-conscientious, uh, hardworking person who arrives at their job at you know the, the crack of dawn every morning and then works until night that evening. You know, you, you Thanks, Carl. You, yeah, but you don't get the same result. Like that produces different results. That is correct. The structures will facilitate resources going to the person who works hard than the drug addict who does nothing or just robs people, right? So that that is true, but that's what they're saying is structural racism because if that produces different, if that system produces different outcomes in different groups, which it does, then the system itself has to change because, of course, they are exactly you say race communists, and this they want a complete leveling. So the vice is considered to be the moral worth and equal of the virtue uh, and this is what people are arguing against and this is why wokeness itself became so toxic but it's also like i said become toxic on the left because it's the 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 whole structure has become one of containment because of course people don't actually want to give up having good things like they don't want to say oh the guy who does no work deserves just as much as the guy who does lots of work it's just not the case and so this uh this moves on to what we can call diversity fatigue uh, because they are aware that woke is actually probably not going to get them to the destination they want. They have been contained. They have been stigmatized. This means that the mission is running into roadblocks. There are legal barriers from people like DeSantis, so DEI and various other things are being rescinded, but the crusade is not over. It will never be. Exactly. It will never be over until the vi vicious man is given the same as the virtuous man. This is what they will eternally attempt to achieve. Uh, and so this is just a, a description from January uh, from one nonprofit called 110, uh, which was created amid a crescendo of calls to address racial injustice after George Floyd's murder. And so they had members uh, in, and clients, including AT&T, Bank of America, Cisco, Delta Airlines, Dow, General Motors, Nike, Walmart. Uh, to pledge towards hiring and promoting black workers based on skills instead of college degrees. So they have realized they're part of the containment. We, oh, we got contained, actually. The structural change isn't coming. But at least we can still try and make sure that the, the racial preferencing that we're advocating for is going to push on. Uh, but they say, fast forward and the social climate has changed dramatically. Pushing these hiring programs has now grown increasingly controversial particularly in the wake of Supreme Court's ruling last year against race-based affirmative action policies at universities. And so 110, I mean, that's their entire business model. Their entire business model is like, hey, you should just hire black people and not white people. And the Supreme Court's like, you can't do that. I don't want the comment I'm going to make, I'm not going to make about color. I'm going to make, make about the idea of victimhood. Mm -hmm. I'm just surprised how no one saw that if you just promote people by, who scream constantly that they're victims and see victimhood everywhere. Yeah. How do you expect that they're not going to be insufferable to work with? I mean, how are you going to expect that they're not going to be rubbish? Mm. You can't. No, they're, they're, they're <laughs> yeah. not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Funny yeah. enough, if you hire based yeah. on anything other than merit, you don't get merit. That's strange. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird, isn't it? Um, but anyway, so this means that 110 has fallen far behind the pace to reach its initial goals. And the organization has had to modify its messaging in the past year. 
because of the Supreme Court decision, to emphasize that the policies it advocates will help black talent and others. Uh, and so what they've done is realize, okay, we can't just say it has to be black people. So they've taken an opposite tact to try and, in fact, change the way that the companies present um, hiring uh, practices. They, they, they do the hiring practices uh, in order to get the effect that they want without saying, we want you to just hire black people. So, for example, one thing they've done is uh, they're working with organizations and they give the example of Delta Airline. This is going to be great news for anyone who's taking a flight soon. Uh, what they've done is they want to um, get them to rewrite the jobs at Delta Airline. Uh, and revise their approach. So Delta removed the four-year degree requirement from 94% of its job listings, including for pilot roles. Dear, dear. So there's, there's going to be a pilot. There's going to be a pilot in the cockpit, and their their console's going to be chirping, and they're not going to know what to do about it. Quite possibly, um, because previously about half the jobs at Delta required a college degree, and they say, well, that that excludes 73% of black people. And it's like. Okay, but it's also worth mentioning as well that the group that is most overrepresented in the UK for university places is black women. Yes, that's worth yeah. focusing on because of actually, terms of action hiring. Yeah, because as, as a percentage of the population, they're more likely, about two or three times more likely yeah. than a working class white man to go to university. Yeah, but the but the point is, you can see that they they are not just going to stop even if you put the laws in, they're just going to change their tactics. And the vocabulary. And the vocabulary. I mean, that's exactly it, right? Uh, so, I mean, the Debbie Dyson, the CEO of 110, said there is diversity fatigue. So what we're doing can't be, this is a diversity thing, but changing the thing to, from qualifications to skills, how that's measured. It's like, oh yeah, well, if you have a qualification from the university or some other accredited institution that says, right, this person has learned this skill, that's a guarantee that that person has that skill. That's how they got the qualification. But if you just say it's un, untested skills, then... It's just paving the way for liars, isn't it? Well, yeah. It you just claim to, to have skills that you don't actually have the yeah. certificate to back. Yeah, I mean, how that's going to be known is epistemologically unsound. But skills give you an alternative path, so good luck. Uh, so this, as you can see, they, they are very aware that, okay, yeah, the DEI stuff's going to have to stop. The being overtly racial is going to have to stop. But the mission doesn't stop. They're still going to achieve race communism. They're still going to achieve the virtuous getting the same as the vicious. And they're very clear. Look, this is just a rebranding, right? So the DEI, they're rebranding their DEI programs to avoid legal risk. Because now it's not that you, they're going to still hire on race base. Uh, but CEOs are telling him they're not eliminating, but they're recalibrating and rebranding their DI programs. You see a lot of colleges now using zip codes as opposed to race or ethnicity, because in general, you know the people that you're going to find in certain zip codes. So they, they, they will literally dog whistle their way into doing this. Um, so just to, be, uh, just to be clear, woke is not going away. They're just going to stop saying that it's woke. Uh, I'm sure a new word will come up to represent the uh, persistent uh, attempt to destroy our civilization through race communism. Um, but uh, the, the laws themselves didn't just work. Anyway, let's go to the video comments. When it comes to the upcoming cyberpunk dystopia, I'm trying to build the fun bits using low-cost open source stuff. That way we don't have to rely on the corporations to have fun.
exciting bit is a bipedal prototype is looking good, which means there might be two-legged mechs and computer-controlled power armor in the future. I certainly feel like that's a bit of a white pill. I've got another episode of our cyberpunk dystopia that's nearly done. I'm I'm looking forward to the sort of the Doom style armor where you can just, you know, punch demons in the face. That, that's what I'm hoping to see out of you, Nekanik. Go to the next one. So on the subject of Harry and Carl disagreeing on whether white liberals are either ideological or malicious. It's kind of both, because my father's kind of one of these uh, mid-ranking apparatchiks people, and while it is definitely true that a lot of what they're doing is just to maliciously stick it to, like, their perceived white enemies, there is this weird idea in their head that they genuinely believe that the diversity is just going to do what they say in perpetuity and will just respect the rules that they're given, Yeah, which is kind of puzzling. No, no, I, I, the ideology creates the enemies. And so, yes, they do hate their enemies. But the ideology not only defines the enemies, it defines the ideal end goal. And so makes them think that they're doing a moral thing. So it, it's not either or, basically, I think. You're a classical liberal, Stelios. What do you reckon? Well, when it comes to the woke ideology, I think that uh, the, the, it's, it's an issue of power politics. It will always be uh, relevant so long as power politics is going to be relevant. So it will always be. But there's still a great deal of idealism in there, and they think it's the moral thing to do. Well, I think that there are several tiers. I think the you know the lots of people they think that they're doing the right thing, but I think the the masterminds behind it, or at least the intellectuals behind it, they're ju they're just in it for power. I think they don't care about anything else. I don't know. I. I Again, I think that it would be nice to think that because then they're just evil, right? But I think a lot of them do think that what they're doing is good. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. For anyone wondering where to find that uh, Sabaton interview, it was one of their uh, conversations with the Great War Channel people when they were doing crossovers together. Although I can't really remember which one it was because those videos were like four or five years ago. But um, I do like how during that conversation, though, he was talking about how when the guy, when the human rights guy was like Fed posting at the security people, he's like, "I do not know this man. I am not with him. I do not share his values." <laughs> I don't think they really understood the implications of that whole conversation, though. I've not seen it. Sabaton are the sort of metal band with lots of historic focus aren't they i'm sure we I've, need harry here um, yeah. to to translate but i think i've heard one or two of their songs before i'm i'm not the expert on it not either so let's go to the next one yeah i have to say nothing beats having a real skill something you know you can do because you work for it you put in the hours and now no one can take it away from you and technology is never going to do that for you. It's something only you can do yourself by putting in the work to learn that skill. And it just, it feels good, man. Totally true. That's like a, a personal trainer's inspirational speech there. But it's totally well done for learning an instrument. Yeah. I'm uh, obviously a bit biased on that in that I spend a lot of my time doing that. But it's amazing how much it benefits you in a way. Like I was playing guitar last night for about an hour. And it just felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. You feel so much better, even though, you know, nothing has changed. Honestly, it's the same with exercising almost any skill. 
Mm. Like one of the things I do is just go and paint a model, like, you know, and then when I've done a really good job, I'm like, oh, that looks great. I can imagine it being very meditative because yeah, yeah, you're sat there concentrating on something. Yeah. 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 Everything sort of slips away from your mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally true. And then, but the things you're also pr- creating something beautiful out of it, mm. you know, and you've got the creation to show of beauty. for your effort. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The creation of beauty that um, is genuinely, uh, Uplifting. Yeah. And rewarding. Just nourishing. Yeah. You know, it's nourishing. And it's, it's, like my wife doesn't understand why I just want to, right, okay, it's like nine o'clock. Okay. I'm just going to go sit in my office and chill out, put some music on, and just paint this thing. And it's like, no, no, it's totally zen. You know, I don't know how to describe it. But um, I know exactly what you mean, though. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's very wholesome, I think. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, folks. Um, we will be back tomorrow. So we'll see you then.